Thank you, Father. If you have your Bibles, turn in, uh, to the back of the Bible, the book of James. It's one of those skinny little books right before you get to Revelation, right at the end there. And we'll turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you've been uh, in Sunday school or um, been around church, you may have heard this text before. Uh, it's made its way to a couple of different cultural sayings and, and proverbs. It's just about uh, um, living for God and not just talking about it and, and being serious about showing the Lord that we care about living for Him. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Willie, everybody here is going to hear the word today. Everybody here is going to hear it because I'm going to say it. And we're going to read the word of God. We're going to preach it. And everybody's going to hear it. So it's up to me if you hear it. If I start reading the phone book, you won't hear the word of God. So it's up to me if you hear it. But it's up to all of us if we do it, including myself. It's possible to even speak the word of God and not do it. And so we need to be doers of the word. If anyone is to hear the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. Has anybody ever got something stuck on your teeth? Spinach is famous for it. Um, maybe you went through your day and you get home and you look at yourself and there's one hair that's just sticking up all over. You thought, how in the world did I not have a friend that would tell me about that? Or you got something on your face or something. James said, if you hear the word and don't do it, you're like that. You're like a person who looks in the mirror, but you forget what manner of person you are. You, you forget your, your image. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. We just pray for the blessing of the Lord on our lives. And this is a key today in terms of having that blessing. And it is working with the Lord and doing his word every day. Now, when we talk about doing this book, it is a tall order. But I want to encourage you today. God does not ask us to do anything that he doesn't empower us to do. So if he's asked us to do his word, he's going to give his Holy Spirit to help us to uh, be empowered to do his word today. Let's pray today and ask the Lord to bless us. Jim, would you lift your voice and ask the Lord to bless his word as we hear it today? May be seated. Don't be a Nigel. Don't be a Nigel. Now I want to say before I start the sermon today, to my knowledge, I only know one Nigel, and he's an awesome guy. So this is a figure of speech today. Don't go out and say Clay hates Nigels. Uh, the only Nigel I know of was at, um, uh, in London. He was Nigel Sykes. He was a palliative care practitioner. He helped to train me in palliative care, and Nigel's a wonderful person. So if ever, Nigel, you come across this sermon, we love you, and I'm sorry, but we're going to use your name in vain today. Have you heard the phrase, don't be a Karen? Anybody heard that phrase, don't be a Karen? And you all know what it means, right? Don't be a Karen. Uh, it's a social media trope. It's made its way around the uh, Facebook realm and uh, Instagram, Twitter, etc. 
And don't be a Karen uh, pokes fun at people who tend to get aggravated at something small and then make a big deal out of it. When people say don't be a Karen, what they're talking about is Karen stands for the person who always wants to speak to the manager. She's Goldilocks without the bowl of soup that's just right. It's either too hot or too cold. And Karen is going to make sure in, the, in this you know, cartoonish projection of a person here, she's going to make sure that you know about it. And not only is she going to make sure you know about it, she doesn't want to handle it quietly. Karen, whether Karen's a man or a woman, he's going to, this kind of person that's represented by Karen is going to make sure that everybody in the restaurant knows that he or she's unhappy. And they're going to make a scene. And, and the, 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 the type of person, when they say, don't be a Karen, it's that kind of person that when you're with them, you just kind of go, oh, will you just please, just, just let's, let's, just, let's just go, let's just go. Um, and, and it's a person who's dismissive. It's a person who's unappreciative. They don't mind causing a scene or embarrassing others when things don't go his or her way. Don't be a Karen. Now, I'm just going to pause here. I'm using don't be a Karen to to transition to Nigel in a moment, and I'll explain what Nigel's about. But while we're on Karen, before we leave that social media thing and, and, you know, that goes the rounds, it's totally possible that if we do that kind of thing, I mean, there's going to be things that upset us, but it's totally possible that if we act out, we could compromise our witness by such behavior. A good rule of thumb. In public discourse, a good rule of thumb is imagine that every public interaction you have is going to end with, hey, I'd love for you to join me in church service someday. If you'll just imagine that every encounter that you have with someone is going to end with, hey, I, I, I love the Lord and he's got some great things for you. I know because he's done great things for me and he loves you too. If you'll imagine every conversation going that way and ending that way, even if that door is not open, if you'll live like that, it'll take care of a lot of caring moments. Amen? Now, last night I had an opportunity to learn about this. Um, I was in a drive-through, and I know y'all think that I speak in tongues everywhere I go and jump up and down and do somersaults. But as it turns out, we were going to a local restaurant and, and we were in a hurry to get out of town. We were going up to Dyersburg last night for a family event and, and then uh, service this morning. They had a, a healing service up there. We wanted to be there this morning. So we were, we were in a hurry. We were, uh, it had been a, a crazy day. Y'all know we had a lot of work at the church. I had to go out and do a presentation. And so it was just a lot of moving parts yesterday and uh, talked to Jan and she said, let's just call so-and-so and we'll have him order. So, we called from our driveway, we drove uh, a significant distance, and we got there, and um, we stayed on hold the entire time. And then we got to the drive-thru, and it was funny because we could see the person who was talking to us on the phone, because they finally picked up the phone as we were in the drive-thru. And I'll be honest, that lengthy hold from a customer service standpoint did not please me, all right? So this is just, uh, we're not going to spend the whole 30 minutes in my confession, but here's just what happened. Um, I didn't say anything ugly, but I was looking at some different things and driving and folks, and we were in a drive-thru. And and when the lady finished taking our order, Jana looked at me and she said, hey, babe, you need to be nice to that lady. And apparently, although I didn't say anything unkind, I maybe had an unkind look on my face. I might have been being a Karen, if you know what I mean. And so the bottom line is uh, I tried to be nicer when she came back to the window because 
Um, you know, if every interaction is an interaction where I'm supposed to bless somebody, I, I need to do better. So I'm going to line up first today and say I don't need to be like a, that cartoon Karen, right? Everybody understand? Y'all ever have one of those moments? Y'all aren't going to throw me out over saying that. So she admonished me to be nicer at the drive-thru, and I'm thankful that she was there to help me uh, be more sanctified. But my topic today is not about focusing on our overreaction to minor irritations. My purpose today is to admonish us not to underreact to major revelations. I'm not here to tell you to don't overreact to a minor irritation. I'm here to tell you not to underreact to major revelations. My topic today is not about don't be a Karen. That's a, an icebreaker to say don't be a Nigel. Now, in our text, James says it's not enough to hear the word and forget it. I don't want to burst your bubble today, but and, and I praise you for being faithful to the house of God and the worship of Him in service. But just being a cultural Christian, just coming to a service or saying, I belong to a church or I am a Christian and professing those things isn't quite what the Lord was getting at when He gave His Word to us, when He gave His Spirit to us, when He sacrificed Himself on Calvary for us and shed His blood for us. He designed this experience of Christianity to be totally transformational. That every moment of our lives would be dedicated to Him, would be informed by Him, and we would be infused with His power in a way that makes a difference. James says it's not enough to just hear the Word and forget it. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you what I preached last Sunday. Because honestly, there have been times when I couldn't remember a few services back uh, what somebody else preached or even maybe what I preached. But it would be good for us to find a way for the Word of God to continue in our lives. You could take your iPhone or your Android and get the Bible app on it that just pops up a verse a day. Something that simple that will help you. Maybe if there's a verse that speaks to you, you could uh, put it in a post-it note and put it on your refrigerator because that might be helpful to keep the word in your life. James says, if we want to continue in Christ, we need to allow the word to continue. You probably got more than one mirror in your house. Some of you ladies may actually have a mirror in your purse. Or you may have something on your phone that turns into a mirror, that thing, where you can see what's going on so that you can take a look at yourself. Um, sometimes before I get out of my truck, I kind of look at my rearview mirror and I adjust it and just make sure that, you know, that wild hair is not getting too wild before I go into the office. Because we forget what we look like. The Word of God is a mirror that allows us to continue in it. Jesus said it's not the hearer, Matthew chapter 7, it's not the hearer whose house will sustain the storms of life, but it's the hearer and the doer. Jesus said, if you hear my words and don't do it, you're like a person with sand for a foundation. But if you hear my words and you do them, you continue in them, then the foundation is there. I can't guarantee you today that life is not going to be full of challenges. I can't guarantee you that every challenge in your life is going to go away when you become infused with the power of God through the new birth experience. But I can promise you today, flat-footed, that if your life is built on a foundation of not only hearing the Word of God, but putting those things into practice, then your life will stand and it will not fall. And by your life, I don't mean some Americanized version of a dream of consumerism. I don't 
mean some self-aggrandizing uh, a collection of personal achievement or awards or recognition from others, but I mean eternal things that have value like love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Those things will always be a part of your life if you learn not to be a Nigel. If you learn not to be a Nigel. Coming to church services on the regular is a wonderful element of faithfulness. It's wonderful that you're here, Sheila. I'm so thankful. You brighten up the place. You got a great smile. You worship the Lord. You're faithful. That's awesome. But to quote my great friend Tom Trimble, service actually begins when we leave. The minute that door opens and we step back into the parking lot, Candace, that's when service really starts because we're serving our neighbor then. In this service, we serve Jesus. We lift him up. We exalt him. That's the purpose of gathering. But when we leave, we are to take that spirit of God that we feel here and to share it with everyone around us because every person created by the hand of God deserves an encounter with his love, his mercy, his grace. And he's depending on his church to take that message to the world. So don't be a Nigel. Who in the world is Nigel and what in the world are you talking about? Get to your illustration and get to the point. Okay, I will. Thank you for reminding me. I could, I could feel that telepathically coming through. My ESPN was working. Nigel Richards is from New Zealand. And you can show his picture if you want to, Preston. Um, he worked as a, he looks like Santa in training. He worked as a waterworks uh, technician in Christchurch. You can switch back to the other slide there, Preston. He now works monitoring CCTV cameras in Malaysia. I don't know how you get from Christchurch, New Zealand as a waterworks technician to do CCTV, but that's what he does. Nigel is the greatest Scrabble player that has ever lived. There is no argument. He did not begin playing Scrabble until he was 28 years old. Anybody ever played Scrabble? Thanks, Marcus. If this sermon doesn't mean anything else to, to anybody, Marcus is going to get something out of it because he knows what Scrabble is. Okay. Nigel's the greatest Scrabble player ever lived. He didn't start playing until he was 28 years old. His mother is a secretary, and apparently they wanted something to do together. And so she just brought out this dog-eared Scrabble game, sat it on the table, and, and that's my imagination. And here they start playing Scrabble at 28 years old. How old are you, Jay? 32. So it would have been four years ago. That's when Nigel started playing Scrabble. He has won the United States Championship of Scrabble five times. He's won the World Championship of Scrabble five times. Now, to put that in perspective, no one else that has ever lived has won it more than once. And Nigel has won it five times. He won the regional deal, I think it was in Thailand, he won it like 14 years in a row. Uh, you can look at Wikipedia on his page and, and get all the stats. But Nigel's pretty impressive. Now, North American Scrabble, to get an idea, Jim, the reason why Scrabble is hard, the average American has a vocabulary of around 20 to 35,000 words. So if you're really smart, you might know 35,000. If you're uh, like me, you might know 20,000. And that's kind of that's how it is. And, and uh, that, that's our vocabulary. Let's just say 30,000 words. The Scrabble Dictionary, the North American Scrabble Dictionary, has 187,000 words in it. So his vocabulary has got to be six times ours as an average person to be a world champion Scrabble player. Nigel 
memorized those 187,000 words and it bored him. And so he decided for a challenge one year, Marcus, that he would memorize the French dictionary and try to enter the French championship. He had never spoken French. He, to my knowledge, never had a high school French class. Why he chose French instead of Urdu, I have no idea. But he decided he wanted to be a French champion. The French dictionary has 386,000 words in it. 12 times your entire vocabulary, Scott. You want to know how long Nigel studied to be a French champion? Two months. In his spare time, when he wasn't looking at CCTVs in Malaysia, Nigel memorized the French Scrabble Dictionary. 386,000 words. And two months later, Nigel became the French world champion in Scrabble. He's just a genius at Scrabble. But here's the problem. Knowing the words doesn't mean you know the language. And you have to speak the language to grasp the culture. If you want to win a championship, Nigel is your man. If you want to bet a hamburger on who's going to win a Scrabble game, Nigel's your buddy because he's going to win. You want him on your team because if you want to score big, Nigel is your guy. But if you're in Paris, France, and you want to know where the bakery or the bathroom is, Nigel can't help you because if it doesn't fit on that board, he doesn't understand how to help you because he doesn't know a single phrase or a single word as far as using it in a sentence in French. He can't tell you where the fire department is. He can't tell you where the policeman is because all he knows to do, Jim, is score points on a board because he's memorized the words. He's got all the memorization, but none of the meaning. Can I drive the point home today in case you haven't guessed it? It's not enough to know about forgiveness we have to practice forgiveness. It's not enough to know about sanctification. We have to practice the holiness of God in our lives. It's not enough to know about mercy. We have to share mercy with others. It's not enough to just memorize phrases of Christianity and say, oh yes, I know who Jesus is. We need a relationship with Him that transforms us. We not only have to know the words in our head, we have to speak that language in our heart and speak it out of our mouth. We can know all the theology in the world, but if it doesn't change how we live from day to day, it is of no avail. We can know everything there is to know about God, but if we don't know God and we don't act as if we are obeying Him and if we don't follow Him, then it has not benefited us. In 1973, there were two sociologists, their names were Darley and Batson, and they conducted an experiment at Princeton, that great Ivy League University on our East Coast in Princeton, New Jersey. They decided to, to see if seminarians, seminary students, ministry students could be affected by their surroundings. Now they told these seminary students, we want you to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Anybody remember the Good Samaritan story? So there's a guy on the side of the road, right? And he needs some help. And then there are these three people who come by and the first two people didn't help him. It was a priest and it was also a person who was to help in the, in the church service, a Levite. And those guys passed right by and they didn't help. But it was the Samaritan who helped. So you've heard that sermon, you know that sermon. 
They asked these Princeton graduate students in theology. They said, we want you to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Okay, I'll do that. I, I can do that. I think we could all preach that sermon. Hey, we're supposed to help people. And they said, we want you to preach it across campus in an audio recording room. And your dissertation supervisors are going to be there. And they're going to give you a, a score for your class on your sermon. Okay, I got it. So far, so good. And they said to each of these seminarians, hey, we're sorry, but they started a few minutes ago and they're waiting on you. You're running a little bit late. On the way to the classroom where they were supposed to preach, guess what they did, Marcus? You can probably guess. They got an associate to dress up in, in old clothes. They dressed him as if he were homeless. They put him in an alleyway. And when he was there, they had him act as if he were injured. And Candace, I'm sad to say that only 10% of those seminary students who were told they were going to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan, but they were told they're going to be scored on it and they were running late. Only 10% stopped to help the guy on the way as they were preaching about the word and how we're supposed to minister to others. The threat of performance and the pressure of time took away their compassion. Can I say to you today that it's not about my score against your Sylvester. It's not about whether you think I'm a good Christian or I think you're a good Christian. We're not competing with one another because we're not in a scrabble game. Life is not about the score. It's not about whether your credit score is better than my credit score. It's not about whether your lawn is mowed better than mine. It's not about whether your kids look better at church or if mine are running wild like uh, they're just crazy. It's not about whether you think I'm doing great or I think you're doing great because we're not competing with one another. We are only performing for an audience of one and he is on his throne and our identity should be in him and it's not for a grade. We're not grading one another as Christians. There's only one who determines what our grade is and he's only going to be pleased if we give our best for him and we reach out to others. Amen? I am so guilty sometimes of getting so busy that I don't have enough margin to do the things that matter. Because I'm like that guy in the, in the Alice of Wonderland tale, like that rabbit with the stopwatch and always late, late, late for a very important date and running around here and running around there and packing my calendar full of this and packing my calendar full of that like those seminary students. And somebody, Jim, is in the pathway. I, can I just be completely honest with you? You know, 18 hours ago in that, in that drive-thru, Maybe that lady was having a tough day and maybe she needed that smile from me, but I was really, really busy and I was also just a little bit annoyed. And so if my wife hadn't been there to remind me, I would have missed an opportunity to minister to that lady. Now I didn't jump through the drive through lay hands on her forehead and pray and holler and everything else, but at least I smiled at her. At least I shared some human compassion and at least I shared some love with her. But I would have forgotten that. I would have still been busy and grumpy if it hadn't been for somebody to encourage me and to provoke me to good works. And so I'm thankful that Janet was there to remind me 
And, and, and if she does it next time, I can remind her. Our, our relationship is mutual in that way. But I just want to tell you guys today that we don't need to be like those seminary students. And this sermon is not about putting them down. It's about reminding all of us that on the way to talk about God, we can forget to serve God. On the way to, to witness to uh, about God, we can minister. We can lose a chance to minister to people and to give them what they truly need. And that's like being a Nigel. And I don't want to be a church full of Nigels that have all the words, but we don't enact any of the word. I don't want to be a church full of people that knows all the phraseology, but we don't bring the spirit of Christ to our neighborhoods and our homes. I want to be a church full of people and it may be a small number, but I want to have great power today to share the word of God with our community. Can you say amen? Thinking about theology won't put a cup of cold water to anyone's lips. Sermonizing about service will not get the job done. Reminiscing about revival's past won't contribute to any conversions today. And singing about sacrifice won't put a missionary in Boston or Botswana. At some point, the rubber's got to meet the road. At some point, we have to stop talking about it and we have to start living it. Now, I'm looking at a group of people who know how to live it and you are involved in living it. I'm just reminding all of us that it is important not just to know the words and not just to keep a score of how we think we're doing, but let's get Get out there and let's use the language and the culture of Jesus Christ. Let's share the message of reconciliation. Paul said, unto us has been committed the word of reconciliation. That's talking about it. But it's also, Sheila, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's doing it. And I don't want to be somebody just who talks about it. I want to be somebody who does it. I don't want to talk about loving everyone. I actually want to love everyone. I don't want to talk about ministering to people. I actually want to minister to somebody. I don't want to talk about... Just, just being a, a whole as a community, I want to be part of the solution in bringing the wholeness and the wellness of Jesus Christ to our community. Talking about teaching won't lead a hungry soul to know the blessings of the new birth experience of repenting of sins, being baptized in water in the name of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be a Nigel. Don't just know the words. Share the language. Share the culture. Let's don't just come and sing to one another. Let's minister to somebody else that needs to know the message of the gospel. Be a Peter and John who reached out a hand at the gate of the temple and said, such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Don't be a Nigel. Be an Ananias who said, brother Saul, you've been hell bent for destruction an enemy of the church. But if God has changed you, I'm going to change my opinion about you. Let me baptize you in the name that is above every name. Don't be a Nigel, be a Priscilla or an Aquila who took Apollo aside and said, you've got to walk with God. And you're a powerful teacher, but you're living beneath your covenant privilege. There's a more excellent way. Don't be a Nigel. Be a Jude who said earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Jesus, let us know that Nigel living is not enough. He said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just, just a mental ascent and just knowing about Jesus or just saying with our mouth that he's Lord. That's not what does it. It is living a transformed life by his power. Not just knowing the words in a mental way, but living the language. Living the spoken and written word of God in our lives. It's not enough to say the words. It's not enough to know the words. We have to live the word. Don't be a Nigel. 
Be a Christian. Don't be a Nigel. Speak the language. Don't be a Nigel. Live the word. Be the salt. Be the light. Every day, in every place, in every situation, in every moment. Jay, when they come in and they don't know what their med list is, they don't know what their allergies are, they can't remember their last primary care appointment, and they can't remember the last time they had fever, but they're in trouble and you're aggravated. Don't be a Nigel. Be a Jay. Mark, when, it, when they're late for the meeting and they didn't do their part of the work and, and you're, you might be frustrated because they're the holdup with the project, but they're struggling and you know it. Don't be a Nigel. Be a Mark. Because God knows. Marcus, when they come in and, and they've got the wrong insurance and they're confused six ways to Sunday and their kids ain't behaving and, and it's all crazy. Don't be a Nigel. Be a Marcus. Because God is moving through you. Sylvester, when... When you're there and somebody's acting out, Sylvester's a, I don't know, he's high up in security at Le Bonner. And when somebody's not doing what they're supposed to do and when they're acting up, don't be a Nigel. Be a Sylvester and extend the love and mercy of God. Get the situation under control, yes, but, but do it in a merciful and compassionate way because God is moving through each of us in our lives to affect our communities. We aren't competing for a trophy, a prize, or a championship. We're competing for a crown of life. And I don't want a crown by myself. I'm not going to wear it anyway. I'm going to cast it down at his feet. But I pray that as I pluck that crown of righteousness from my head, because I'm not worthy to wear it, and I fling it as hard as I can to the throne where Jesus is seated. Willie, what I hope is that there are thousands of other people that cast their crowns because of my witness and because I've just loved God and because I lived it every day. I want there to be so many people that are in heaven with me because of the witness of this church and this community. Don't you want to be a part of winning the world for Jesus? Don't you want to stop keeping score? Don't you want to stop just knowing the words and don't you want to live it every day? Wouldn't it be exciting if somebody in your neighborhood came to your house and said, hey, I'm in trouble. My marriage is on the rocks. I need somebody to pray for me. And I've been watching you and I know that you're a person of prayer. And I believe that you can pray for me. At that moment, you could choose to be a Nigel and say, oh yes, uh, I have learned that God can help you out of any situation. And you should turn your needs to Jesus. This is called petition. Congratulations. Triple word score. You win Scrabble. But if you're not a Nigel and you don't even know any of the words, but you know how to pray and you say, why don't we just pray right now? And you say, Lord, let's help. Just, will you help my neighbor? Will you help my friend? That's moving out of Nigel living into Christian living where it really matters. And if you want to be used in that way, trust me, there are enough hurting people in the world and the Holy Spirit of God will lead those people into your sphere of influence if you're willing to step off the Scrabble board and step into the living Word of God. I'm looking at a bunch of people this week that are not going to live like Nigel. You're going to live like the dedicated ambassadors of Jesus that you are. Stand with me today. We're wrestling for the souls of men, the eternal fate of women, the peace and the protection of little boys and girls, for the heart of our city and the mind of our nation, for the future of our world. And Nigel living won't get the job done. But being a Christian, Sylvester, will always get the job done. You don't have to be a preacher. Probably helps if you don't. Because people will find you more approachable. You don't have to be a great musician. You don't have to be a great theologian and know everything. 
You've got everything that you need if you've got a willing heart for God to use you to help somebody else. He used a donkey. He's used stones. He's used people. He's used people who have messed up. He's used good people. He's used bad. He, he used all kinds of people. The only kind of person that God will not use, Jim, is a perfect person. You know why he won't use a perfect person? There are none of those people. That person only existed once, and it was God robed in flesh. His name was Jesus. So unless that's you today, you're in the same boat as I am. You're an imperfect person who wants to step out of Nigel and step into Christ and just be used to the Lord. How many want to do that today? Jana's going to sing just a moment. Let's respond to the Word of God. Let's ask Him to use us this week. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you ask the Lord to help you be a, be a help to somebody? Would you ask the Lord to touch somebody in your daily work? Would you ask the Lord to help somebody in your neighborhood? Would you ask the Lord to lay somebody in your family on your heart to pray for this week? Would you ask the Lord for somebody even in this church that might have a need that you could petition for this week and you could intercede for them? Somebody might use an encouraging text this week. Somebody might could use a good pat on the back this week. Somebody might could use 20 bucks and you could bless them this week. Some Somehow we can step out of being Nigel and we can step into living like Christ in our world. In the name of Jesus, God bless you as we respond to his word today.